And we are back on another episode of the Unleashing the Future of Work podcast live and online to you across multiple channels. I hope you are having a phenomenal, fantastic Monday today. You know, I am currently here in Texas and the society is actually fully functioning again. People are out and about. Barbershops are open. Everyone is back into their daily motion. But today I am joined by my lovely guest and friend, Lewis McMurrin, who is a future work policy and research manager at Workforce Training and Education Coordinating Board. His professional experience has been marked by serving others, providing leadership and effective advocacy. His sweet spot is in helping emerging companies manage organizational change and growth. He equips organizations with the resources and tools to become a smart organization and to future-proof themselves. And, you know, today, Lewis and I are going to really be talking about the future of work, my favorite topic, but more importantly, some of the work and research that he's done in his role leading policy and research for Workforce Training and Education Coordinating Board. I have some really tough and interesting questions to ask him, but without further ado, let's go ahead and bring him on. Hey, Lewis. Good morning, Tim. How are you? Or good afternoon, I guess, Chicago time. <laughs> I'm doing time. well. You know, you are looking swanky today, man. I love what you're wearing. Thank you. Appreciate it. You like the collar, right? Very generationally hip, right? All right, very generationally hip. Now, before we dive deep on today's episode, I would love to show some love to the people who are viewing in from all around the world. Let us know where you're tuning in from. Shout out your location in the comments, and we'll show you some love. Louis, where are you chiming in from, man? Well, right now, Tim, thank you. I am in my home in Des Moines, Washington, yeah. which is a, a suburb of Seattle, Washington. Yeah. Uh, just near the SeaTac Airport. It's uh, it's May here, so we're starting to get some nice weather. It's starting to uncloud. Today was the day that our stay-at-home order was going to end, but again, wow. like a lot of states, it's been extended. Uh, but uh, my wife and I have been officing here for two months now, since March 5th, so we've wow. become rather um, expert at the whole working-from-home uh, situation. So it's it's interesting, but it's a, it's a great area, and again, things are Again, every state's a little bit different, and we have we're opening up slowly. Some good things are happening in terms of uh, construction, retail, and other business activity. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, talk to me, Lewis. Tell us a little bit more about how long you've been doing the work that you do, and, and you know have been in this role of of leading policy and research. Yeah, thanks. So, uh, first off, Tim, I'll have to give the standard caveat that I am speaking for myself, not the state of Washington <laughs> or for the Washington Workforce Board. Uh, so, just to make that clear, but. Um, we are an interesting agency, though. The Workforce Board, uh, in the longer term, the Workforce Training Education Coordinating Board, um, was created um, from the Workforce Investment Act back in the 90s and then the, the update to the Wor mm. Workforce Investment Opportunity Act, WIOA. And so every state has to have uh, a workforce agency through which they dole out the federal workforce uh, money. Wow. Um, our agency has been in existence since 1991 is somewhat unique among the states in the fact that it is both business and labor driven in equal representation, as well as elected officials from other agencies. So it's a little bit unique compared to other agencies. The Future of Work Task Force was created in 2018 by the legislature and actually remains uh, the only legislatively created Future of Work Task Force in the country. Wow. 
The other ones were created by executive order. The ones in New Jersey, California, and Colorado were created by their governor, not by their legislature. So um, I came on board along with my co-manager, Joe Wilcox, in September of 2018. Um, after the, um, the legislature created the task force, they appointed the members, six from labor, six from business, and then four state legislators. Mm. We published our initial report in late 2018 held um, meetings in 2019, and then published our final report in December of 2019 that included 17 separate recommendations across five broad issue areas. And then several of those recommendations were actually adopted by the legislature in the recently concluded session. And the task force actually is a project that will end on June 30, as most legislatively mandated task forces and work groups do. Yeah. So what were some of the, you know, a few of the uh, findings? You mentioned that there were five of that, you know, report. Yeah. And shout out to Davis, who is Davis, who is tuning in from Nigeria. Oh, awesome. Great. <laughs> um, OK. Yeah. So, Tim, so the there were kind of five big, you know, this was kind of a boil the ocean kind of exercise. Right. Legislation yeah. was very big and said, here, do all these great things and study all these things. So our task force got together. When they sat down, they said, okay, we, we, we got to kind of limit this. And there were five kind of key general issue areas that they settled into for uh, that we would kind of study. One was comprehensive worker training and lifelong learning. Wow. Use and adoption of technology in the workplace, advanced technology, really. Improved labor market data and credential transparency. Mm. Modernizing the worker support system and then equal access to economic development resources across the state. And then under each of those buckets, we then developed policy recommendations to uh, address those issues under those areas. Wow. So what was the process behind that, right? Because and you and I have talked before, you all did a exhaustive research in terms yeah. of going to different locales and, you know, talking with different city leaders, you know, so I would love for you to kind of walk us through that, that process. And, you know, then I, I want us to dive deep on, you know, a post COVID-19 future of work, right? Cause I think right. there's a lot right. for us to, for you and I to chew on there, but what was oh. the process behind the research? Yeah. So, well, you know, first off was luckily my colleague, Joe Wilcox, uh, has a great research background. My background, again, is more in the advocacy, government relations, policy development, that kind of mm. thing. And so um, luckily he knew how to do research. Which is good. But really, we just started compiling the reports. I mean, literally the day we were hired was when the World Economic Forum came out with their jobs of the future report. So we had grist for, for the mill right from the beginning. So really, wow. first off, we just compiled all of the all of the research that was already out there. Again, some of the academic research, World Economic Forum, McKinsey reports, uh, a wide range, you know, the Osborne and Fry reports, all the sort of the, the stuff that had been coming out from um, Cambridge and Oxford, uh, some of the academic stuff. Again, World Economic Forum had really led the way to this point, and so had McKinsey. So first off, mm. we wanted to make sure we compiled all the stuff that was out there, as well as labor market information from the state of Washington, and just kind of get a lay of the land. Then we just developed essentially a um, outreach and stakeholder or stakeholder um, um, engagement process. Our task force members were, of course, the key folks. They came from business and labor, so they, of course, were very helpful in giving us their own perspectives from worker perspectives, business perspectives. Mm. I mean, we had uh, someone from Microsoft. We had a, 
retailers. We had a, a company that actually did robotics and automation for other companies. Wow. That was interesting. We had a, a forest products company. We had folks from the um, one of Boeing's engineering unions, uh, the Labor Council. So a really great wide range of perspectives. And then we simply just started reaching out to economic development councils, uh, workforce development councils, uh, businesses, labor unions, uh, everybody you could think of. Plus, we had actually a very good size, what we called our uh, kind of interested party list, right? Folks that were not task force members, but that we had cobbled together kind of a listserv like most state agencies do in these situations. And so a great group of people from around the U.S., right, folks from Texas, folks mm. from D.C., um, foundation, folks from foundations who just provided input. And then we just started reaching out as well, too. So uh, folks like down in Independence, Oregon, who had done some really awesome economic development, you know, rural economic development. Uh, we talked to trade associations around the country. We talked to folks at foundations. Wow. Uh, uh, folks, particularly the rural areas, that was one of the big issues was, of course, is not just is income disparity, not just within sort of, um, you know, women and races and that kind of thing, but also, too, within regions and wow. geographies. And that's true in every other state. So we really start to delve deeply into all of the different issues that are, you know, that were are, are part of, you know, quote unquote, the future of work. Yeah. And again, too, it was a it was a wide range, but we just we literally went around the state. We went to rural counties. Uh, we went to we talked to CDFIs, uh, community development financial institutions, about their role. Um, you know, of course, a lot of thing was happening federally too around the opportunity zones and some of the opportunities mm. that were that were coming up there and trying to figure out how that played into the future of work. Looking at tax policy, um, employee ownership, uh, re re. Um, re-examining issues that had come up pr to previous years, but it sort of faded things like lifelong learning accounts. And yeah. To uh, into that, because I think that's going to be a really interesting tool for workers and businesses to upskill in the future. But generally, we just, you know, literally we spent most of 20 or the, the, the last quarter of 2018 and most of 2019 literally traveling around the state, talking to people, doing Zoom calls before they were popular, <laughs> uh, I mean, all right. doing all kinds of interesting things to, to get information. We talked to universities, folks at Cornell, Rutgers, um, yeah. Georgetown, uh, my alma mater, where they have the, um, the Center for Education and Workforce. So we really got a really great broad perspective. We, folks in the disabled community, we wow. spent a lot of time examining the, um, uh, the whole DEI area and how that mm. plays into this. And that was really instructive. Again, you can see I'm, you know, older white guy. So these were really interesting working with folks from other communities and really uh, delving into some of the, these deeper social, you know, social cultural issues that are, yeah. you know, can be very thorny, but are really critical to kind of weave into the economic arguments, right? I mean, this is all, you know, the COVID is that we're all in this together and this future of work is really important that mm. we maintain this ethic that, you know, we've got to bring people up, um, and use capitalism for all of our benefit, right? I mean, yeah. there's nothing wrong with capitalism that more part people participating it will mm. improve, right? That's that's, yeah. that's my belief in it. But uh, I've I've talked a bit there, so Tim, if you want to kind of direct the conversation, ask a couple yeah. questions. Happy to yeah, 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 yeah. I think what's so powerful, Lewis, is you know I think one how exhaustive and grassroots the the research you all conducted, 
was. I think that's 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 incredibly powerful. You know, similar to you, you know, I feel as if lifelong learning, you know, with the work that we're doing with Guide, you know, we're really focused in this continuous skills training um, space. And, you know, it's a it's with the realization that now more than ever, you know, employers are trying to address the skills gap, right? And what better way to address that through software, right? And then more importantly is how do we help, you know, people who ha- not only have a skills gap, but some some of them are, you know, living in low-income communities. How do we also help them create opportunity through skills training, yeah. right? So maybe long-term they can, you know, monetize or, you know, their expertise. And I think, you know, these are some of the gnarly issues that we should be having our cities and, and government leaders think about. And what I love about the, the you know, your research is that you all really had a layered approach to how you all find, um, developed your findings. Yeah, yeah, thanks for uh, for mentioning that. I mean, some were very specific and granular, right? So, exa- so one example uh, from our report, you know, in the area of um, uh, labor, or uh, mo- let me see, get to the recommendations here. Um, and you can find it at wtb.wa.gov. And there's a whole area of uh, the future of work, and there's mm. a report there. But Say that the, again, uh, WT? Uh, WTB.wa.gov. And then under planning programs, there will be a um, tab for future of work. And then there you can see the recommendations. There's the whole full report. But something this simple. So, for example, Tim, under improved labor market data and credentialing transparency, we have two recommendations. One is to use our career bridge in the credential engine project uh, for a learning laboratory. Very broad. Okay, but this is a big deal. But the second one was adding a new occupation data field to our unemployment insurance wage reports provided by employers. Okay, well, this is something very granular. Employers are providing this on a monthly basis or a quarterly basis uh, Mm. to the uh, employment security department with their the employer, the employee's name, their social security number, their hours worked and their wages paid. Well, now we have added they're going to have to add their job title or their occupation. So wow. in 2021, this new field will start to yield almost real-time occupational data, mm. what people are actually doing in the economy, right? Right now, mm. we can know that somebody went to Amazon, but we don't know exactly what they do, right? We don't yeah. know if they want to be a coder, <laughs> logistics, are they in yeah. the warehouse, are they at AWS, right? All we know yeah. is that they went to Amazon, but we don't really know what they did. Well, now they're going to have to start reporting that, okay, we now have 25,000 programmers, 50,000 logistics people, that kind of thing, right? So now you start to get a real feel for what are people actually doing in the economy. And then if you think about it, think about a year's worth of data. Oh, okay. So now you've seen changes in, oh, now we're seeing more digital marketing people getting hired, right? And then you start to see it across industry. So you can start to see where where people like in agriculture industry or manufacturing, what I call old school industries, are hiring more digital and technology related people. So you can start to see the mix of occupations and that way businesses, workers, and labor markets will really start to assess what's really happening in the economy. And then we can tool our training programs and education much quicker and much more adaptively to what is actually Mm. going on, right? As you well know, it is obvious, the 
the coronavirus and this COVID-19 has thrown the future of work right into our laps, right? Yeah, it's true. You know, like literally millions of people who were restaurant workers, they were, uh, maybe they were Uber drivers, uh, Mm. they were, you know, they were, they were, they were employed maybe in a gig uh, fashion, maybe W2 fashion, but obviously it was precarious, right? Well, now, Mm. you know, their jobs are unlikely to come back in many, many ways, right? I mean, restaurants are going to change completely, right? Really interesting conversation I had with the the gentleman that runs the um, building and um, building owners and managers association for the Seattle area, right? Commercial real estate. I mean, things are going to change dramatically. What is going to happen with how we use real estate now and the people to maintain it, right? What Mm. was interesting, what he said was that all of the janitors and and building maintenance people really never lost a beat. The buildings never closed, but they have now switched to disinfecting, not just cleaning, but disinfecting. You are seeing some junior level um, building managers get laid off, right? Mm. So those folks now, because they just are not going to have nearly as, as much leasing activity and that kind of thing, right? Who knows what tenants are going to do now with um, re- with return to work? I mean, let's face it. People are not going to be going back to the work at the same level. Most of us office workers, we're still being ta- told to stay home until, you know, like almost June. like whenever, right? I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's true. Returns. Like, who knows? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, it's a very, I mean, no one really knows other than yeah. it's going to require adaptation, right? I mean, that's the key mm. thing. The one thing that we know is, is that, you know, digitization and technology will continue to be growing. So, you know, again, we don't want to refight this turning loggers into programmers. But the reality is, is that if your job no longer exists, you are going to have to find something new and Mm. you're going to have to find a way to get to get new skills and training in some way, shape or form. And that is going to be partially on you, partially on the government and partially on an employer community. So yeah. uh, figuring those roles out is going to that's that's a public policy um, uh, discussion that's going to mm. have some meaning to it. And there's a lot of ways to do it. Right. I mean, the the what's what's become obvious is that is that adult learners are really going to be key. Right. And this mm. the future of work is really about the 25 year olds, the 35 year olds and the 45 year olds and even the 55 year olds in the workplace now. Right. Yeah. Young people and students are going to be able to adapt. Right. I mean, we'll start seeing them adapt. And, and they like you, you're digital natives. Right. Guys. Yeah. Like, folks, you're digital immigrants. <laughs> and, and still, I mean, you know, we're still trying to figure it out. Right. Yeah. But the, the reality is, is that you better because that's where the that's where things are going in mm. advanced technology. AI automation, uh, robotic process automation—these are coming, and the, the the I believe that the the advanced technology is going to be the fabric of our is going to be in the fabric of our everyday lives within you know seven years, ten years at the outside, right? Where yeah. uh, we're really using AI on a daily basis, right? I mean, we see it in our calendaring and some of these sort of low-level functions, but it's going to start helping us make decisions, and then. What's the issue for white collar workers, knowledge workers, when AI can literally mm. take over your job? So it's mm. going to be an interesting time of adaptability for all of us. But clearly, it's it's the folks who are now out of work that really need help now to find things, right? Because because no doubt, I mean, at least in our region, a lot of people are out of work. But Amazon, Microsoft, and the tech related companies are doing really well, right? Yeah, I mean, they're still, they're still growing. 
yeah, they're growing. And so you're, 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 you're not, I don't think that that's going to stop. I mean, mm. based on what I've seen over the last 20 years and based on where you're going to see it going now. And then again, too, healthcare is again, another huge, huge field where the demand is just enormous across the state. Mm. Right. And the entry level positions, entry level all the way up. And when you look at, again, let's take restaurants again, example as where a lot of young folks, that's where they got their first job. Well, maybe they need to become personal healthcare aides. Maybe that's the first job because that's a high demand position, requires a lot, you know, some physical labor to be involved, hard to automate, but the, the huge need, right, is going to be there. So we have to really rethink all the things that we've done to train, you know, and first jobs and second jobs and career pathing and entrepreneurship, mm. right? I mean, I know that mm. you're very much involved in that. That's a real passion of mine. In some cases, I, I think we almost need to leapfrog this next mm. generation. What I mean by that is, you know, in in Africa and in, in the Middle East, when they started building the, the you know, the cellular systems and the mobile systems, they just bailed on the whole copper system, right? <laughs> they just leapfrogged it. I think that that's the same thing that we need to do with young people in this country, leapfrog this idea of working for somebody mm. and, and, and go right to the idea of you're the employer. What wow. business are you going to form, right? Like, what are you and your fr- what problem are you and your friends going to solve? Oh, yeah. Let's help you go get the capital, figure out the technology, and go do it. And forget this idea of like, oh, go get a job and go do this. Yeah. Now, become the job creator because we mm. don't know what jobs will be there. We know that new jobs are going to get created, absolutely. So let's help. Let's help. Let's help ourselves think about solving those problems and creating the mechanisms that get there instead of just going to work for the man, right? I mean, going to work for the man or the woman, great, go for it. (laughs) But, you know, there's always going to be a dead end, Tim, in my view. I mean, all of us are going to have to always retool ourselves. So you might as well get yourself ready to retool yourself into your own gig. That's, That's my own personal feeling. And again, with my own job ending June 30, I'm going to have to do another reinvention process of taking yeah. the future of work. Where do I bring value, right? How do I bring mm. value into folks that need help? And that's how I think that we all have to think about this, you know, going forward in, in the economy. Opportunity is going to be there. Right now, it's a tough time. It's hard. Of course, those of us that are still getting paid, it's easy for us to say. But, <laughs> but, but if you are willing to work and you have some ambition – and leadership and coaching and mentoring to me is another just critical aspect. Area, right? yeah. I just see this so much where as we as we interviewed employers, uh, mm. you know, this 10-year drift, particularly among young young men, right? And I'm having some interesting conversations with folks that are really looking to help young people, particularly young men and African American men and, and minority men get mm. their feet on the ground and get bearings so they can come into adulthood, you know ready to go, right? Ready to solve problems with mentorship, with coaching, with social capital skills. That's really encouraging to me. And I think there's a huge opportunity. And frankly, employers realize they got to get into non-traditional audiences, right? Mm. There's some really interesting companies out there that are really doing some great matching. I had a really interesting um, uh, conversation with Wiley Publishing and some of the things they're doing, again, I'm hoping I'm not speaking out of school, but they're doing some really, really interesting <laughs> things to target non-traditional candidates who know they need to get somewhere and wow. they have some very sophisticated ways of getting them and the training they need. Um, there's a company um, based out of Baltimore 
and I know some of the folks in Portland called Catalyze, and they are taking non-traditional candidates and building them into STEM positions and STEM jobs, and it's fantastic. So, so some of the old school, you know, recruiting methods are really going to have to go away for building pipelines, and mm. building pipelines into non-traditional communities, right? So there's a lot of really interesting efforts going on that the private sector is doing, uh, working with the public sector. Policy is important, but policy only goes so far, right? At some level, you got to make things happen. And so that's where you got to spend money and foundations and public-private partnerships. I'm seeing some really, again, some really creative ideas starting to meld together because people are looking to solve problems and now in new and different ways, right? Yeah. Can, Can I, I ask you? A, let me ask you something, Louis, because yeah. I think you're, you're saying some. You're, no, you're saying some powerful things. You know, from really this focus on the next generation to to be more entrepreneurial and, and more importantly for employers to empower that. You know, let me ask: How do you think private? You know, private the private sector and the public sector should be converging and collaborating to really create this future, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I tell you one thing is is that what I'm doing in our workforce board is we are taking an intentional business outreach uh, campaign, right? Mm. So we are reaching out and a lot of business associations are doing this for their own members, but we are reaching out ourselves because we work with business and labor very collaboratively. So we have, we are in a unique position to be a convener of disparate mm. interests, which again, with the future of work task force was a really good example of it doing. And states are really good places to do this, right? They are legitimate conveners of multiple interests, and they're just going to have to be intentional about doing that. So mm. really, it's workforce boards or your economic development agencies are the ones, you know, you've got to find that entrepreneurial person in government to do the reaching <laughs> out. So I'm kind of that person in my agency that does that. And I so can tell. <laughs> with associations about, hey, what's your workforce needs? How can we help? And what can we recommend to our governor and to our federal delegation? This has to be just a regularized program, I think, that states have to do. We're starting to do it, and we're, we're doing it now almost like um, it's almost becoming um, um, oversaturated, right? So you have mm. to manage it inside of states because states are very complicated enterprises, and, 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 and they all want to help. And so you, but you have like 10 different agencies that are doing that. So you yeah. have to be really smart about coordinating inside state government and then reaching out to business. So they don't get like, okay, I mean, last week it was you guys. And now, you know, this week it's this agency. So if you could speak with one voice, that would be really helpful. Right. <laughs> so, uh, and so especially for small and medium enterprises that, cause the big guys know how to work the government. Right. I mean, mm. you have to, you know, big, big enterprises and, big associations know what they're doing. They've got advocates, they got lobbyists and that kind of thing. It's a small and medium size and, and trade associations we find are good vehicles for, um, for messaging. Um, if you can establish credibility, right? That's the other mm -hmm. thing is to establish credibility. Uh, I mean, be working with them. And that's always tough because on one side, you've got your department of revenues trying to collect taxes. Your department of labor and industries is trying to ensure workplace safety and, mm -hmm. you know, contractor things. And then we're sort of like the good guys, the white hat agency, like, hey, we're just trying to help. And so it's very important that states coordinate among themselves, I believe, so they don't send mixed messages to their own business communities. So and then you have these multi-state things like Council of State Governments, uh, National Conference of State Legislatures, 
those are very good places for states to come together and share ideas, and they do a good job of that. I know that NCSL and Conference of State Governments both have uh, future of work initiatives that legislators from our state are involved in and that we've informed that process too. Mm. So some of it just, I mean, it just, it takes intention, Tim, and it takes an effort by states to say, hey, we're going to put a stake in the ground and make this happen. I, and I, a lot of states are doing that now, um, especially like mid the Midwest, Missouri, mm. Illinois, um, a lot of states are really starting to get Colorado really starting to put some things in place that um, I think are going to move the ball over the, over time. Employee ownership is another really, really, I think. And that's exciting to me. Extremely valuable vehicle um, whereby uh, you can turn uh, workers into owners. Mm. And the statistics and the data that's out there now is very positive. The process, though, is very difficult to turn to go to an employee-owned company. It's expensive. It takes a lot of time. Um, but what do you mean by an employee-owned company, by the way? Essentially where you are, where shares, right? The shares mm. of the company are owned by the employees, right? Yeah. A very good example in our state is uh, Schweitzer Engineering Labs. Mm. It's a very, very good company. Been around a number of years, 5,000 employees worldwide. They make some uh, really interesting, um, um, I think, uh, flanges, I, you know, some materials that are widely used all over the world. It came out of Washington State Research, uh, WSU Research, and the head of the company uh, is just one of these, you know, very, very uh, enlightened CEOs that 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 a number of years ago just said, "Hey, we're going to become an employee-owned company," and then took the steps to just offer shares to the employees. Wow! And so now they have, um, you know, again, they have shares in the company. And again, too, I worked for a company that had, you know, they. They had an employee stock ownership, and they matched the four hundred one k with the company stock, and they and they basically they promoted like, listen, you have stock in the company, you need to think like an owner, right? Because mm-hmm. if we all do well, you know, your four hundred one k benefits, and sure enough, I mean, there were about five years where the, everyone sort of picked up that mentality, it's like, yeah, yeah, and the company grew, and the stock went up, and everyone was like, there was smiles and you know everyone's faces every time there was the you know, the, the stock plan, the, 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 what do you call it? The, um, the contributions were made and that kind of thing. So, and then, and, and again, too, there, there is evidence that it does work. So we would love to see that more Mm. Colorado instituted, uh, an employee ownership office through their sort of commerce department. We had one several years ago. And then again, over the last recession just got faded, but that was one of our recommendations. And there is a foundation up in the Bellingham area that is taking on this employee ownership and doing assessment in their county of um, of businesses that are going to be selling over the next five years. Because the other mm. thing is, you've heard this term silver tsunami, and a lot of it refers to the fact that um, uh, baby boomers are, are going to be graying out and retiring out of the trades. Well, there's also a phenomenon of baby boomer business owners wow. that are selling their companies over the next five, 10 years, right? Folks that have owned their companies 20, 25 years, the next generation doesn't necessarily want to own that business. Um, and they've got, to find, they've got to find buyers. And in some cases, if they haven't kept that company going for, you know, at the top level, the employees are really going to be the only um, real buyer of that company. And if they're not, it could shut down. So you mm. could see some real problems in particularly rural counties 
if baby boomer owner owned companies don't have an option to to get those off and to be employee companies or cooperatives are, are the other um, other sort of worker owned type of um, business structure. Um, REI is a really well known one, and Mud Bay um, Pet Food is another one, both based in Washington State that are cooperatives. Same idea, where the workers own the company, and generally they they um, pay themselves a little bit better, give themselves benefits. It's less of a kind of stock option type of thing as it is uh, more of how to let's run this company ourselves to the benefit ourselves mm. and our customers. So, but these are really interesting models that I think we really need to look at because again, it's obvious that workers over the past 15, 20 years really have lost ground unless you're been mm. at the top, you know, 20% of wage earners, you know, you've lost ground, especially if the bottom 50% have really lost ground. And it's really important because again, government policy is one thing, uh, union activity is another, worker centers. These are all great, but getting mm. money in people's pockets is really what matters, right? <laughs> That's true. Believing that they know how to make a dollar and that they can survive, mm. right? That really is what, that's the game changer for people that are feeling either out of sorts or, or mm. excluded or just, I don't know what to do, right? Give them a chance to put some money in their pocket and, and learn something new and they feel good about themselves. I mean, a lot of this, again, I find with, again, sort of this, this um, generational drift is they just aren't getting any leadership or no one's speaking into them, right? Speaking positive into them. And that's, I think, just a lot of young people are not getting that either at home or at school. Mm. And um, finding those, you know, those mechanisms and those of us that are adults and taking that responsibility, really, my generation has a lot of responsibility to help your generation and those younger than us to, to you know, buck up and, mm. and, and do what it takes, right? Give you some faith, right? Give you some faith that we can do this. I mean, I, we got to raise our game in our country a little bit and oh. there's a lot of whining going on. And, you know, we got th these times kind of force us to have some backbone and some spine, but, it, but it's my generation that needs to kind of say, we can do it. We're there, you know? And, yeah. and sometimes I get a little disappointed. A lot of whining comes from my generation and, <laughs> you know, we need to be better examples for, for your folks and, and for the folks coming out of college and young people coming mm. into the workforce today. So. No, that's a, that's such an enlightening perspective, Lewis. And I want to ask you. I think with you know where you mentioned earlier that the COVID nineteen has thrown the future of work in our laps, right? And I feel as if there's a lot of pivoting that companies are having to do, workers are having to do, but more importantly, you know, organizations are having to do in terms of rethinking their culture and what does the workplace right. mean um, in a in a post COVID. 19 future and now i think you're also seeing a ripple effect in cities too right you know how do we think about our communities and ensuring that we keep people who are you know living in poverty you know in homes or hotels where they can be well fed and and whatnot you know do you feel as if you know what what would you where do you think we're moving towards in terms of as a collective society in the u.s and how we're thinking about workforce development and, and, and closing access gaps? Yeah, that's a really great question, Tim. The whole access is really key, right? I mean, and and that and it's often played out through sort of the broadband uh, situation. What we're finding mm. is uh, the one group of folks uh, across the state that's really taking this on in terms of sort of community involvement and community action are the libraries. And they've mm. become very wow. big 
sort of adjuncts to our workforce system, right? Because they have computers, wow. they've got broadband, they are um, doing a lot of literacy, digital literacy, entrepreneurship training. Um, we're seeing this uh, at the Seattle Public Library. We're seeing it in library districts across the state in rural areas where they're setting up mobile hotspots. Uh, there's a very, um, I think, particularly in, well, urban areas because they see it more, right? I mean, the, mm. the, the, the issues of homelessness or poverty have become very um, apparent because of the, uh, uh, of the wealth of many cities, right? I mean, Seattle, San Francisco, Los Angeles, I mean, these are pretty wealthy cities now, right? And so you see it pretty obvious. The rural areas, it's more hidden in terms of sort of the, the disparity and the, and the uh, kind of uh, despair. Mm. Um, and also to the problems, I mean, you got to find them almost, right? I mean, it's, mm. you, you got to drive out a certain way, right? In cities, you can kind of see it. Also, though, in cities, you have, well, the the COVID thing and the coronavirus is now, it's like, how are you going to manage public transportation, right? I mean, mm. the mask wearing and all this and access. I mean, so so like an urban area, like in, in Seattle, King County and Puget Sound area, you know, you can get on a bus for free or for a dollar, <laughs> and you go to a workforce center. I mean, they're all in the bus lines, right? I mean, so so access to help isn't bad at all in an urban area, right? Even yeah. if you're even if you're pretty darn poor or on Medicaid or 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 even have mobility issues, you can get to where you need to go, right? For rural areas, that's a whole different ball game. You've got to have robust broadband about that. Um, I, I I do believe there is a much greater sense of inclusion. Mm. But like example, I talked to, I spent a number of times talking with the disability community, you know, and often they're still an afterthought in the whole DEI mm. discussions, right? So we still have a ways to go in understanding who's still being left behind and how to include them and when to include them mm. and what are the right questions to ask, right? I mean, the whole smart city conversation to me is very apropos now, right? I mean, how mm. do we now manage sort of uh, autonomous transportation with public transportation with access because it's pretty clear that 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 office workers are going to be doing more work from home from this point forward right yeah. and that um and that and that maybe maybe the things like the really localized um what again uh, i'm trying to think of the term for like the we works of the world and you know kind of the uh, flexible workspaces yeah the flexible workspaces exactly i mean to me i mean i know that their whole business model is sort of falling apart yeah but that whole notion i think is very is is very um uh is a very uh, is going to be a more common business model yeah. for distributed employment right mm. i mean it's just going to be big um and how people work organizational change is absolutely i saw that early on in the future of work. And in some cases, the way the stay at home stuff is forcing organizations to rethink this and how they manage remote employees um, is very welcome, right? Because a lot of it was the yeah. command and control. It's like, if I can't see you, I can't manage you. You know, yeah. let's face it, that is done, right? That is done. Uh, number one, we can see each other. Number two is the tools, <laughs> Slack and email. I mean, all this They're stuff good enough. is all. I mean, we're getting stuff done, right? And also to hopefully it will be a chance to embrace our own work styles, right? I mean, yeah. I like early morning, like I'm good 7.30 to noon. 
Mm. And then, you know, that, that two to four, forget it. I am not productive. Give me a nap, but then I'll work again from five to eight. Right. So, and hopefully that's where we'll go, where we'll start to really understand how people work and unleash them to work that way. Now, some folks do need do need to be managed, right? We, you know, mm. I mean, that's just the way it is for some of us. And, and sometimes I find myself, I do need to be, give me the tasks that I need to do today and get them done. But I, I think that again, too, uh, again, too, this is where the baby boomer generation is going to have to be flexible and understanding how to use the technologies and communicate and collaborate more effectively to make sure that the, the Gen Z and Gen Y, um, are, are, um, uh, deployed well, right? I mean, that's another thing too, is the one thing about mm. automation and, and the change and sort of the breaking down of tasks is that it does, it's going to get us to the point where we really do need to find our best selves, develop our best selves, mm. right? And I, I, I'm sorry, I don't care um, what you do in life. Being a, a permanent fast food worker is not your best self. I mean, mm. it's a good way to get from here to there, but it is not, you know, you know, I'm a Christian. God did not create junk. And I believe yeah. he created greatness in all of us. And uh, and now we have to, our job, you know, is to help people um, let that Achieve out. their full potential, right? Exactly. So I, I think I we're that. getting there. I mean, yeah. sort of intellectually, we're there, we're there emotionally yet. And that's played out in how we actually operate school systems and businesses and mm. nonprofits is another story, right? But I think, <laughs> I think, the, I think that the, the mindset is changing and sometimes it's these disasters and these big events that require that force it on us. Mm, mm. Louis, that's so powerful, man. Louis, I want to thank you because I think you, you share so many, it's such a great overlay and the lay of the land in terms of how things are changing. You know, what would be your words of wisdom for our lovely community members, guide community members who are looking to take control of their career? And I think, you know, become lifelong learners, but more yeah. importantly, become active citizen citizens in this change yeah well you know it, it really comes down to know what you want have a hmm. dream right i mean hmm. write this stuff down there is absolutely nothing you have to write stuff down right yeah. i get ideas now i say honey i gotta write it down i gotta write it down for it <laughs> so really it is about you know you are worthy right i hmm. am worthy so um it is about knowing what you want deciding, making decisions and, 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 mm. and being okay with yourself. I mean, some of this basic stuff, um, and that opportunity exists, nothing, there is nothing that can stop you. If you have a good coach, a good mentorship and desire and ambition and, and good habits. I mean, it really is about change, do do something small. Like yeah. if, if it's, if it's, I mean, and really the two areas I think Americans really need to work on is our physical health and our yeah. financial health. Right. Mm. Those are two things. That, and then again, too, you know, cut, and I would love cut to add one mental bad health. thing out today. I'm sorry, Tim. Mental health, too. I think that's really uh, and, important, yeah, mental, especially mental in this health. day and age. So, right. I mean, it's it's a matter of taking care of yourself yeah. and knowing what you want and making decisions. Right. And changing habits one day at a time. No doubt about it. I mean, it's I love it, Lewis. I love it. I love it. That's powerful. So write it down. Take care of your financial and physical health. And I think too, in, in you know, in a post-COVID-19, you know, workplace, you know, everyone's now working from home, which means they're more 
likely to eat from home and order order in and deliver. And I think we all have to be more mindful of our holistic wellness and organizations have to kind of tend to that too for, for employees who may need that support. You know what, Lewis, where can our lovely guide community follow your work? Well, you know, I'm active on LinkedIn. Um, again, the WTB.WA.GOV is our agency website. That's the other best place to find out what we're up to. And again, we publish things there. Our workforce board does meet quarterly. Um, again, my my position will end June 30. So uh, I'm looking around for the next gig and would love to uh, help companies with uh, future of work type of things. And again, have some uh, have some ideas and thoughts and some tools to help. So those would be the main things right there. And also, too, I'm active on Twitter, at Lewis McMurrin, uh, L-E-W-I-S-M-C-M-U-R-R-A-N. So, uh, and Tim, uh, again, this is a great pleasure. Thank you for the privilege. and best Absolutely. Thank you, Lewis. You killed it, and I really appreciate you. With that said, if you are interested in sponsoring or being a future guest on the Unleashing the Future of Work, a guide podcast live definitely check out our website utfow.com utfow.com as well we've also launched early access to guide so check out our website for guide guideapp.co guideapp.co with that said lewis thank you so much for being our lovely guest on today's episode you know you are brilliant and you know i definitely encourage for those of you who are interested in lewis's work follow it check out the report and make sure you connect with him on linkedin With that said, peace, love, and I'll talk to you all tomorrow. Bye.